Welcome to episode number 42 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast, where we create a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today we're talking about the fundamental burning characteristics of five combustible dusts. So this topic is, is from our fundamental science series that we talked about a couple episodes ago, where we're going to be covering different scientific aspects of combustible dust combustion, flame propagation, and explosion in hopes that we can, as a community, start to determine how to bridge this more with what's actually going on in industry, what the concerns are, and how to actually get these kind of fundamental science concepts more integrated and the university researchers that are developing them more integrated with industry application. So in this specific podcast episode, we're going to talk about carbon dust, plastic dust, coal, iron, and aluminum, and talk about the different fundamental burning characteristics. When you think of a, an explosion or a deflagration in one a cloud of these materials, what does that actually look like at a, at a fundamental level? What's going on with the particle, and how is that interacting with its environment? How is it actually reacting? So in this episode, we're going to talk about why does this matter? Why do burning characteristics matter of single particles in actually end application? We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about what does a dust flame look like if you really zoom in on it. And then we're going to go through these different dusts and just describe a bit about how they react and how they react quite differently from each other and why this is then difficult to develop a, a unified theory of flame propagation in combustible dust, which is something that's been under works for probably 100 or more years through research institutions, and we're still trying to figure it out today. So my goal here isn't to give you, you know, a, a university class, a semester long or four month long kind of lecture series on this. It's just kind of give you the basics as a, as a listener, somebody who's interested in combustible dust on the starting point for understanding some of this material. And then maybe you can go on to find other resources, or maybe it's just kind of useful information that you can have to kind of think about, oh, this is how this happens. This is why one dust might be different than another. A lot of this material comes from a couple different textbooks. Dust Explosions in the Process Industries by Rolf Eckhoff has a couple good, very good chapters on um, combustion of, of different dusts and how that looks. Um, there's also Principles of Combustion by Kenneth Kuyo, K-U-O. And we'll include links to those in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 42 for this episode. We also are putting together a resources page at dustsafetyscience.com slash resources where you can get links to all these textbooks plus any of the industry reports, and anything we find that might be useful, um, standards, government organizations, we're going to start dumping that all into that resource page. So if you're looking for something, you're looking for material to share in a presentation or just for your own research or background, you can go to that page and we'll keep building that up over time. So then why do burning characteristics matter? The fact is to the end user, if you're in a planer mill or if you're in a, you know, a door manufacturing facility or a trim manufacturing facility, the individual burning characteristics of your dust probably don't matter a whole lot to you in your everyday job. However, the challenges that we have in, in actually protecting applications and protecting from dust explosions and deflagrations and flash fires really come down to understanding the basic science of combustible dust and how it applies in these different scenarios. So anything that we can do to really help shine a light on these different aspects of the science part of it I think will help us as a community grow, hopefully help the universities and researchers and educators connect and talk better with uh, people that are in industry, that are industry experts, and really start to get that information to flow. So that's really the purpose of this and why we're going to look at these kind of fundamental processes. This episode does not have the answer to how to you know close this big gap between fundamental science and applied practice in combustible dust and dust safety, but it's going to help generate some of the questions, hopefully, is what I'm thinking. So and it may be able to provide, you know, more interesting discussion points in the future and more collaborations between different groups. 
So before we go into these individual dusts, then what does a, a dust deflagration look like? What does a flame moving and propagating through a dust cloud look like? So if you think of this dust cloud, you have these individual particles. Um, they're you know spaced in some random kind of distribution in the air as, they, as they've been dispersed. This spacing will depend on the concentration. If you have a higher concentration, the particles will be closer together. If you have a lower concentration, the individual dust particles will be farther apart. That kind of makes sense, right? If you have an ignition source, it's going to create a flame kernel somewhere in that cloud. And if that flame kernel can grow large enough, it will begin to self-propagate. So you can picture you have this cloud of individual dust particles. A flame starts, maybe you have a, a, a welding arc or something that ignites it. The flame gets big enough that it can self-propagate. And then you get to a point where it will deflagrate on its own. So you picture this flame kind of moving through the particles, heating them up, causing them to react in some way. And we'll talk about the different ways they might react in this episode. This creates enough heat, lets the flame move forward a little bit, heats the next batch of particles, the next group of particles. This process keeps happening. There's some kind of situational factors where turbulence might be stirring up the dust in front, causing it to accelerate, causing more oxygen to be fed in. Um, but think about it, this really kind of not microscopic, we call it mesoscopic in the kind of science world, but where you're looking at individual particle sizes, that's what you have. You have a flame, it's propagating, it's heating the particles up, causing react, and then this allows the flame to move forward. So that gives you a little bit of the view of what a dust flame would look like, a deflagration in a dust cloud. And we're going to get into the different reactions mechanisms of these different dusts are. And they're actually quite diverse between these different materials that we mentioned. So we're going to look at carbon, plastics, coal, iron, and aluminum. We pick these dusts because they actually kind of build up in complexity as we move along, looking at these different burning characteristics. So in the first combustible dust we're going to look at is carbon. So the only fuel in a, in a carbon particle is the carbon itself. There is no gas on board. There's no other material that reacts. It's actually only the carbon that, that uh, reacts with oxygen in the air, and that has a combustion reaction. So this reaction has to happen at the surface of the particle because it's solid, and the oxygen is diffusing, is what's called when the oxygen is close enough to the particle to react, but it's, it's only touching the particle on the surface. So you get what's called a surface reaction, where the oxygen reacts with the solid carbon. This has two phases. You have the gas, which is the oxygen, or the oxygen is in the gas phase. You have solid carbon. This is known as heterogeneous. So hetero means two, and genius, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it has two phases. You have gas phase reacting with a solid phase. This is called the Nussault flame. It's named after the Nussault number, which was a German engineer, William Nussault, who did a lot of work on dimensional analysis and heat transfer between phases, and that's kind of how it became to be known as the Nussault flame. So when you picture this flame, it propagates, it heats up the particle and causes the particle to react at its surface. And then you have a flame that develops on the surface of this particle from this heterogeneous surface reaction. And we'll see as we move kind of down the chain of different combustion characteristics, how this is vastly different for different dust. But for this first one where you only have a single fuel on board, solid carbon, that's how the reaction happens. It happens at the surface, you get the flame that will develop on the surface and react on that particle. So the second combustible dust that we'll look at is a plastic dust. So this is actually a stepwise process. In the plastic dust, there is no solid reaction. The, generally, there's no solid reaction. If you think of polyethylene, what happens is the, the particle goes through a stepwise process. It heats up, it melts, so it gets sticky, and then it evaporates. It actually off-gasses and evaporates, creating a flammable gas. And that gas is what reacts. So this is substantially different than the carbon. The carbon, the solid carbon, reacts at the surface. In the plastics case, there is no solid reaction. It melts, it evaporates, creates a gas, and that gas reacts. 
So this is known as a homogeneous combustion mode. It's also called a volatile flame sometimes because you have a gas phase polyethylene reacting with gas phase oxygen. And it looks quite a bit different if you looked at it, you know, at a microscope or zoomed really in on it um, because you don't have this flame anymore on the surface of the particle. It's actually offset some distance. So if the particle is, say, 50 micron in diameter, you may have the flame standing off at 100 micron or 150 micron and it sort of envelops around the particle. But it looks quite a bit different when you have a high-speed camera and you zoom in on it than carbon does with its only surface reaction. There's a couple reasons why this might be important. One is that most organics burn this way, where the volatiles are what's actually reacting, not the solid phase material. Not all, and we'll get into some examples where both actually happen, but in a lot of organic materials, this is the, the main mode. If you have sawdust at given uh, specific kind of diameters or sizes, this is the, the main way. And the reason this is a, an issue is that off-gassing becomes a safety issue. So if you think of a dryer for, say, a wood pellet mill, you may have this volatiles being released from the heated particles, the heated dust. And that gas, if it doesn't react right away, can actually build up and cause a safety hazard on its own. Um, you see this in plastics and resins. You see this in, again, wood pellet mills. You see this in nylons and fibers. When they're in textile mills, you have a dryer that's flocking material that can off-gas and create a combustible gas mixture. Uh, which could react on its own. You could have a gas explosion, or you could actually have a hybrid mixture explosion where both the off-gas and the unburnt dust or unreleased dust could react as well. We see that this gets kind of more complicated then. Now you have multiple phases that are reacting. You have flames that are standing off. They're bigger around individual particles. It can in increase the actual width of your deflagration front, your reaction front overall. It just comes for a more complicated picture. So those were two combustible dust, carbon and plastics. We look at coal dust, this is an uh, interesting case that shows both of these. It shows both surface reaction and gas phase reactions. So both heterogeneous and homogeneous modes of combustion, if you want to go that far. High volatile coal, that's a lot of volatile content, say 50% or more, 40% or more volatiles, burn a lot like plastics. They heat up, they off-gas these volatiles, and the volatiles react, standing off some distance from the individual particle, which then contributes to the flame front and propagation after that. Low volatile coal um, that ha doesn't have a lot of volatile content reacts more like carbon, where you have the reaction will be on the surface. It's actually burning the oxygen in the air with the solid carbon, usually it is, um, solid carbon that's in the structure of the coal. And you can kind of get an idea if you take a sample of coal dust after you do an explosion test on it and look at it under a microscope, you'll see all, you can tell the volatility by it. You'll see all these blowholes in that actual sample if it was high, high volatile. And there's some pictures of this, I believe in the textbook, Explosions, Course Protection and Prevention by Wolfgang Bartnick. I might not get the name correct on that, but again, if you go to a resources page, you can see that textbook there. It actually has images of coal after these deflagrations or explosions, and you see all these blowholes where the, the volatiles were released after it got heated heat up enough. So we're gonna switch our, our thought process now and look at metallic dust, which have a different combustion mode well, actually, they have some similar characteristics, but then also different characteristics than these organic materials and plastics that we've been looking at. So maybe I'll do a summary. So just carbon, we looked at, has only surface reaction. There are no gaseous fuel on board that particle. Plastics, there are no solid reactant materials. They, they melt, they evaporate, they off-gas, and then that's the fuel. And coal depends on the volatility. If it's high volatility, then you may have more gas phase reactions. If it's low volatility, you have more surface reactions, but really have this kind of dual mode of combustion. 
it's pretty similar for metallics, except for the fact that that some are, are much more reactive than some of these. Some of the gases are much more reactive than uh, some of these organics. So if we start with iron as an example, and we've talked about this before: how some iron is measured as a as a low KST dust, so less than fifty barometer per second, may be seen as marginally explosible or only a little bit explosible. But as in the case of Hagenase, if you look at the CSB report from that, you'll find that three explosions, three flash fires over a period of a, a year or 16 months killed the number of workers. So it's still very dangerous. But the reason that it's low reactivity compared to some other dust is it has a pretty low temperature in terms of all the metallic dusts that are out there. It also has a high evaporation temperature. So if we think of our plastics example, where we had the stepwise procedure, the dust heats up, melts, evaporates, and that's what reacts. That doesn't happen with iron because the flame temperature is low and the evaporation temperature is high. So if you compare the two, the evaporation temperature is higher than the flame temperature. So when it's burning, it doesn't create a gas. It stays in the solid phase and burns again on the surface of the iron particle. So this follows the surface reaction or heterogeneous combustion mode is generally how iron burns. And that's why it's one of the slower reactivity materials. On the other side of the spectrum, we have things like aluminum. Now, aluminum or I guess if you kind of look back, you think you think probably that all metals burn this way, um, that their their evaporation temperature is low compared to their flame temperature, but this just isn't true. You think of a very combustible dust like aluminum, it has a high flame temperature, it actually has a lower evaporation temperature. So the flame temperature is higher than the evaporation temperature. I don't know the specific numbers, but say the flame temperature is 3200 Kelvin and the evaporation temperature maybe is 2500 or 2600 Kelvin. So when that flame propagates, it's actually burning aluminum or it's evaporating aluminum vapor, which then reacts in a homogeneous combustion mode, and you get these gas flames that are going around individual particles. So why is that important? That aluminum gas, have you ever heard of aluminum gas, first off? And the answer is probably not. It's very, very, very unstable. It's very, very, very reactive. That's why you don't see it. You can't trap it and measure it in aluminum gas, but it is evaporating and reacting when those particles combust, and it's highly reactive, and that's one of the reasons why aluminum is such a reactive material. So that kind of gives you an idea of the different type of combustion modes for individual particles. So again, carbon only has surface reaction. Plastics generally only have gas phase reaction away from the surface. Coal might have both. Metallics that have a lower flame temperature than their evaporation temperature won't burn in a gas phase mode, and they'll generally burn slower. And then metallics that have a high flame temperature compared to the evaporation temperature will burn homogeneously and we'll have a very fast reaction. So you can see just by the way I'm describing some of these processes that it's pretty complicated. This is looking at individual particles and how they react. If you go look at them under a microscope, what we're trying to predict in industry is if you had a dryer or a silo or a dust collector, how does this group of all these individual particles reacting, how does that propagate a flame front and what's the speed at which that flame front propagates, what's the maximum destructive force, how strong does that thing need to be designed or how fast does the suppression system need to activate? And there's still a big gap between understanding that. That's one of the goals of this podcast, again, is to start to drive closure of that gap by introducing some of these fundamental concepts and even more important, connecting the university researchers through with industry, connecting industry through with application specialists, equipment specialists, so we can all get talking and solving some of these problems and work towards closing that gap. So before we close out this episode, I want to talk about some other complicating factors. So if the single particle combustion wasn't, you know, complex enough, it's not the only thing that comes involved here. 
And these ones are really sort of at the forefront of, of university research. So if you're a, you know, a professor or a, even a grad student, um, you might get some ideas here of topics that, that need to be addressed from the fundamental science side. So the first complicating factor is isolated combustion versus group combustion. So if you think of this carbon, it reacts at the surface of the individual particle, and the particle next to it can only react at its surface. So you're always going to get isolated combustion. Particle 1 reacts, it heats up particle 2, and it reacts and heats up particle 3. So they're always kind of in this isolated, discrete is the word we'd use to describe it. One reacts and the next and the next and the next. However, in a homogeneously reacting dust, plastics or coal, you can actually get this case where the flame, the standoff distance of the flame around the particle is overlaps with the next particle. So you get a reaction front that's thicker than individual particles. And instead of having this kind of mode where one particle burns and the next and the next, you have a flame where there's multiple particles burning throughout the thickness. You usually get much thicker flames under these conditions, and it just complicates the, the theory. There are theories available for all the things that I described in the first half of this podcast episode for the fundamental burning characteristics of carbon, plastics, coal, iron, and aluminum. There are theories for single particles on ways to predict the reactivity, the reaction rate. The difficulty is that we don't have the theories to predict what that means for a flame, a deflagration propagating through a cloud in most cases. A lot of this comes down to this isolated combustion versus group combustion as being a complicating factor. An additional complicating factor is the role of turbulence and particle size distribution. So if we had these theories and they apply to individual particle sizes, 10 micron, 50, 100, what does that mean if you have a dust in industry that has a particle size distribution? It's not very narrowly defined around one size. It may have particles in there that are 10 that are 1 micron and 100. And understand the effect of turbulence and particle size distribution, PSD, on how fast this flame propagates is a really complicated topic really at the forefront of science and research in this area. A tool that might be helpful here is numerical modeling. My PhD thesis was actually around using computational systems, using computers to simulate these types of flames. And we're starting to get to a place now where we may start to be able to apply those in more relevant industrial scenarios. Um, but we're still trying to, you know, as a worldwide community, develop the capability for that. And the last complicating factor I wanna mention is scale dependent, and this is kind of a mouthful, Scale-dependent deflagration characteristics. So what do I mean there? What I mean there is, so deflagration, that's the flame that's propagating through your cloud. The rate it's propagating at, generally, if you could estimate it, then we'd be set. The problem is, in some cases, it's actually dependent on how big that flame is. We talked about this in episode 39 of the podcast, Does Size Matter? Why is the standard dust explosion testing chamber 20 liters? And there are some behaviors for some different dusts that make the rate of that flame moving through the dust cloud depend on how big it is. The number one kind of quoted version of this is radiation. So radiation is emitted from the flame front for high temperature flames like aluminum and heats up the particles in front of it. And the farther it goes, the more it heats these particles up, the more preheated they are when the flame passes over top of them. And you get this effect where they, just because the scale of the flame is larger, you get it speeding up and accelerating. So Hope that walk through what a scale-dependent deflagration characteristic is. The reactivity of that flame propagating through is dependent on the size of the, the cloud. So there's a couple of these. Radiation is only one of them, but there's a, a number of them, and they're all relatively unknown. Radiation in aluminum is really the only one that's been studied in a level of detail that may have some sort of industry application, but we still have a pretty big gap there as well. And why is this important? Well, this is 
radiation and other scale-dependent deflagration characteristics really start to bring in question. If you do an equipment, piece of equipment that's tested at a six-inch diameter, can we use that piece of equipment at 36 inches? If we have a, a piece of equipment that works on a 200-liter vessel, can it be used on a 2,000-liter vessel? And if you get in the case where the reactivity of that flame front is dependent on the scale you're using, the answer is generally no, or generally that we don't know. So you have to actually test at these very large conditions in order to know that equipment, piece of equipment is going to be safe. And this isn't across all material. Again, some dusts are well characterized. Some dusts are not scale dependent in the rates of pressurize and the, the reactivity and the rate that that flame's propagating, but some are, or some might be. And then this brings in a lot of these questions about testing, experimental testing for um, industry equipment, and can we apply what we learn at a smaller scale to these larger scales? And do we know that when that thing needs to be activated, when it's actually in use, is it going to create a safe result at the end of the day? So those are just highlighting some of the challenges and other complicating factors from bridging this fundamental burning characteristics of dust through to industry application. Again, I hope you're enjoying these kind of fundamental science series on combustible dust. This is a lot of stuff that I spent a lot of time reading and going through and trying to understand in my PhD research. And I always felt that there's a need to try to bridge that gap between the fundamental scientists and industry applications. So I hope this is doing some of that with this podcast and this series on the fundamental science of dust explosions and dust deflagrations. So again, we don't have the answers today, but we are highlighting some of the problems. We are willing to ask some of the questions, and that's what the purpose of this discussion is. This is the type of type of information that's being discussed at scientific conferences like the International Symposium on Hazards Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions. This was hosted last year in 2018 by FIKE in Kansas City. Next year in 2020, it will be hosted in Germany. Um, there's other conferences like the Combustion Symposium, and they're trying to figure out these fundamental science characteristics. And then we have other university groups that are doing applied research saying, how does this apply in industry? And generally, that's where you know you may get topics like what standards should apply or what types of equipment should be used. One of our jobs, again, with Dust Safe Science is to bring these groups together, give a conduit for this information to be shared. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. The show notes, as always, are at dustsafetyscience.com slash 42. All the resources we mentioned are in there and some of the textbooks and other resources we're putting into dustsafetyscience.com slash resources, which would be sort of a central resource directory that people can go to. If you have any questions, you can go to dustsafetyscience.com slash ask, put them in there. We'll bring in a subject matter expert from around the world to discuss that topic. And as always, I, I appreciate you listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I just want to say thank you for all the great work that you're doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world every day. Mm-hmm.